Welcome to the We Raise the Stars and Stripes Over Japan podcast. My name is Mark Steven Schwartz. It is both an honor and a privilege for me to read the diaries of American and Allied civilian prisoners of war interned in and around Kobe, Japan during the Great Pacific War, World War II. This is episode number nine. We start today on January 11th, 1942. Harold Brinkerhoff. The sea is making me feel squeamish. We had fish and rice this morning. I lost mine. I'm going to lie down. I feel better in that position. Charles F. Gregg. Well, the first night is over and people are more cheerful. Signs up on stairs with signs in English with arrows pointing WC, another word for washroom. Timely supplement of water, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., very speedy for them. Two washrooms with six bowls each were only open this one hour in 24. Truly very speedy for 400 people. We also have one drinking fountain and two toilets with six latrines and three heads each. We were allowed on the lower deck for 30 minutes, 9 to 9.30 a.m. and 2.30 to 3 p.m. Breakfast is at 10 a.m. and dinner at 3.30 p.m. By 7 p.m., practically everyone was in their bunk space. January 12, 1942. Charles F. Gregg. Sleeping is better now, but it's still crowded. Many people get up at 5 a.m. or sooner. Some are washing in a very small hand basin in the toilet. Shaving is nigh on impossible, and there's no place to bathe. This is bad since we sleep with feet in each other's faces. We are surely a motley crowd, unshaven, dirty, ill-clothed, one month as prisoners, and how many more to go? Going someplace, but where? During the night, the ship sped up for a while and really vibrated. Guesses as to speed seem to put it as variable between 15 and 20 knots with top at 23 knots. The ship is diesel-driven and modern, although cheaply appointed. It is traveling along without convoy. If our destination is Japan, we may have to run a submarine blockade and pass through minefields. Well, it is Japan. Word is out and they are going to divide the heavy clothing that was taken from the island. Had some bad fish with our rice for breakfast the first morning and many were sick. Sea was most rough with heavy northeast swell of short period. Sea much smoother now, and the bread macaroni was easy to digest. Harold Brinkerhoff. I eat, but don't feel much like it. I give my fish away, but try and eat the rice. I manage to keep it down. We were on deck for a little exercise. I feel better in the fresh air. We were issued confiscated civilian and military clothes. I got a civilian suit. It fits perfectly. Also two pair of pants. 
What a coincidence. The suit was made in San Diego. Charles F. Gregg. Max Brodowski got off on a couple of times. Several times Max, particularly on the ship, called the Japanese guard a slant-eyed son of a bitch. The guy didn't understand him, but no translation was needed. Two of us grabbed Max. It took two of us because Max was a real husky guy. He hadn't had much food at the time, and a couple other times, Max would go hot and cold. January 13, 1942. Dean Brunton. On our third day at sea, we felt the first of the cold weather. In our thin tropical clothing, we went to sleep trembling. We were not to be comfortably warm again for many months. At about 11 p.m., we heard the engine stop, reverse, stop, and reverse again. We could tell by the sound of the water against the hull that we were making a sharp turn. The engines were silent for about 10 minutes, after which we apparently resumed our voyage. In the morning, one of the guards told us the ship had been attacked by a submarine, but had escaped. Harold Brinkerhoff. The air outside is nippy. We must be getting close to Japan. The ship made several evasive maneuvers last night. It is a queer feeling not knowing where, when we might be torpedoed. Charles F. Gregg. Third night aboard, and we are still going northward. It is getting colder now. Fortunately, we have some heavy clothing. I drew a pair of marine pants, marine overcoat, sailor midi, and stocking cap. Have also fallen heir to two wool business suits sans vest and my own smoking jacket. All the houses, marine barracks, etc. were looted, and what was not taken by Japanese as personal spoils, mainly jewelry and trinkets, was kept for our winter cruise to Japan. Big loss these days is news. What are the states doing? Where is the fleet? What battles are being fought? We will not know until after it's all over. Time seems to pass fairly fast, however, so things are not too bad. Lots of griping about food, clothes, and sleeping, which is to be expected. We are always tired by evening, although there is not a great deal to look forward to. Sleeping and sleep. Did some washing this evening and hung it on the upper bunk rail by the air duct. They are piping us heated fresh air today, so clothes will dry fast. Bryant Sterling. Our food was very poor, but fairly plentiful. The bright spot was a slice of bread once in a while, but usually we had fish and rice. Some of the fish made many men sick. They tried to eat the whole fish without chewing it, like we would eat sardines, but the guts were rotten in them. However, not bad when skinned and cleaned properly. A few days at sea and I discover the rice has worms in it. Not bad though, because the worms look so much like the rice. Many times we had an onion stew to pour over the rice, which was a big help. Also had tea and coffee. In Japan, the coffee always seemed to be artificial. Pleitner and I were the ones that dished the grub out for the 48 men in our section. 
Praskovich baked the bread. Never could sneak an extra slice from the Japanese. Too clever at watching. Our toilet and washrooms were up the next deck up. Had those miserable oriental toilets that were merely a hole in the floor, no seats. Only allowed one hour a day to wash, 6 to 7 a.m. Allowed to run around decks for exercise once a day. We could tell we were heading for Japan by the location of the sun. Also noticed it was getting colder each day. January 14, 1942. Harold Brinkerhoff. We should arrive in Japan today if we are not sunk first. I feel better today. I was able to eat my fish and hold it down. About 4 p.m. we could see islands on our left and the mainland straight ahead. On our right, a large island called Shikoku, where we are supposed to be going. We stayed aboard all night. It is comfortable below, but very cold in the corridors. Charles F. Gregg. Rumor in the air this morning. Supposed to have early breakfast and arrive perhaps at Kobe sometime today. Lots of changes in speed last night, and at 11 a.m. we stopped for a while, supposedly while passing across a bar near the head of the peninsula. They now say we may be at Kobe around 8 p.m. and may or may not have to sleep aboard this evening. We are supposed to be taken to a prison camp off the main island and across from Kobe. I, for one, will welcome some place less crowded than this hold. Foul air is nothing to enjoy. Four days and nights are enough for anyone under these conditions, but we can take it as long as necessary. A sign in the hold says capacity 84 men. There are 210 of us in that section. We arrived off Kobe, so they tell us at 6 p.m. this evening, but did not stop. At 7 o'clock, we dropped anchor, had dinner, and told we would stay there all night. Five nights in the hold, and they have cut off the hot air, so it's cold now. Bryant Sterling. On January 14th, we are roused out of bed at 6 a.m. and told to pack. Our breakfast is two slices of bread. At 8 a.m., we are sent up topside and notice land. I recognize the inland sea from my experience in 1936 aboard the President Coolidge. Spend about an hour or so and then sent below. Have hard time keeping warm. About 10 or 10.30 a.m., sent all the way topside in bitter cold wind. Most of us are not dressed for this weather, and besides our systems are used to warm, balmy Guam weather. Stand around in biting cold about an hour while they count us and then scent below. Wait around, shivering with cold, until about 9 p.m. that night. Roy Henning, arrive Kyoto, cold and snowing. January 15, 1942. Max Brodowski. When we were finally allowed to come up on deck, we beheld the inland sea of Japan on a freezing January morning, quite a contrast to the warm climate of Guam. We were counted many times during the day and finally disembarked and loaded on a sampan. 
We were loaded in a hold and it was bitter cold. We were brought to shore. We were at Takamatsu on the island of Shikoku. Walter E. Durham. We arrived in the inland sea in the Zensushi area on the 15th of January in a snowstorm. We were taken on top of the deck about 13 times every day and counted. Boy, it was cold. Charles F. Gregg. Boy, it was cold last night. We slept with all of our clothes on, but still almost froze. Up at 5 a.m., washed, packed, and had breakfast at 7.15 a.m. Then commenced the waiting. They opened up the hatch above us, and some snowflakes drifted down. At 9 a.m., we were allowed up on deck and saw Japan for the first time. We were anchored someplace in the island inland sea with sharp mountain peaks on all sides of us. It was a beautiful sight, but plenty cool for us, only four days out of Guam and one day from an average temperature of 80 degrees. We remained on this freeze box for the entire day, making frequent trips up on deck to be counted. The snowy blasts were quite different from the late tropical breeze, particularly so as our clothing was quite light. There were small settlements or towns on all sides of the bay in which the ship was anchored, but there was little sign of activity. Smoke was coming out of two smokestacks, but some six others were cold. A Japanese junk sailed by in a small fishing boat. There were no signs of other ships. We took all our baggage to the lower deck, ready to transfer it to a launch, and were then taken down into the hold again. At 11.30, we were taken out again, lined up, and inspected by our new army guard. We stood in the cold at attention from 11.45 to 12.15, then told to go below again. Then commenced the worst part of our prisoner fate to date. We waited in almost freezing temperature from then until 6.45 p.m. for them to move us. Our bags were all packed and unavailable. We barely had room to move. We were hungry and had nothing to eat. They told us we would be taken ashore first at 3 o'clock, then 5 o'clock, then 6 o'clock. At 6.45 p.m., a launch bump bumped up against the ship and we were herded out into the dark, wind-swept, freezing deck, and hold of a large launch. 510 of us, plus, crowded aboard. We waited some 30 minutes aboard before the chug-chug of the engine started us off to the, our Japanese prison. McMichael, Eldridge, and some 20 of us were a little more fortunate and found a place by luck in a small enclosed cabin. The rest of the people really suffered on that trip across the bay. We docked and amid flash, flashes of photographic flashbulbs, disembarked via plank and herded in groups of 40 up to a small train or bus station where we were lined up by groups and stood in bitter cold. The civilians were then separated from the military and marched into a small store out of the wind. 
Following a 20-minute wait in a cold room, they passed out hunks of bread to each of us. It was a sight I'll never forget. 120 civilians, improperly clothed, dirty, unshaven, some with tropical sun helmets, others with white priest robes, all half-starved and on the verge of freezing, tearing off huge chunks of bread and stuff it into their mouths faster than they could chew and swallow it. It made a lump come into your throat to see the great change that had been forced upon these people in so short a time. At 9 p.m. we were marched about four blocks to a train station, passing down dark streets and followed on all sides by Japanese clattering along in wooden shoes, staring at the American prisoners. A large crowd of people and school children were there to stare at us, but they were friendly and would smile back at you and return waves. All of us were loaded into four trolleys and taken four miles inland to our new camp. Snow and frost were on the ground on all sides. We were marched across the snow-covered road to the prison, a military camp with barbed wire and guards, and placed in a large barracks building, 32 to a room. Grass mats covered a layer of straw on both sides of the room, along with walls, and in neat piles at the edge of the mat were five blankets, rice husk or sand pillow block, two aluminum bowls, and a fork. They brought us in a bucket of hot soup for each room, and boy did our spirits rise. We made bed rolls with the blankets and turned in dead tired at 11.40 p.m. Dean Brunton We anchored in the early morning of the sixth day, and in the afternoon we were permitted to go up the ladder at the companionway leading to the top side from our compartment where we could see the shoreline with rugged mountains in the distance and could feel the icy wind that came from the snowy summits. At about 9 p.m. we were ordered into a top-heavy wooden ferry and with the wind howling in the rigging while an icy sleet bore down upon us, we made for the Osaka Shosen Kaisha dock at what we later found was the town of Todatsu on Shikoku Island. Our scanty tropical clothing was soon wet, though, and we were chilled to the bone. By the time we landed, every one of us was thoroughly miserable. There was a light blanket of snow on the ground, and a wet shower of large flakes was falling. Harold Brinkerhoff. We stayed aboard all day. About dark, we were loaded onto the open hold of a sampan. I have put on all the clothes that I own, three shirts, a sweater, and a coat, and three pair of pants. We were about an hour in transit. We finally arrived at a dock. There is a flurry of snow, and the wind cuts like a knife. I have never been so cold in my life. Photographers were taking flash pictures on all sides. We double-timed up to a store on the wharf. We were each given a half loaf of bread, the first food for 12 hours. The bread tasted as good as any cake I could remember. Max Brodowski 
After being brought ashore, we were put in a waiting room, and Japanese army men kindly distributed loaves of bread which we ate with relish as we were hungry. We next walked through a village and were loaded on streetcars and taken to Zensushi military prison camp. It was a bitterly cold night. We were given hot soup. That helped tremendously. Harold Brinkerhoff. We were marched about a half mile to a streetcar station and put aboard streetcars. We swayed and bumped along for the better part of an hour. The cars made me think of the comic strip Toonerville Trolley. What a bleak country. Dean Brunton. A number of electric cars awaited us, and we were soon at the Sensushi military prison camp, about four miles from Todatsu. The buildings were large, unpainted barracks, which had not been occupied for some time. Harold Brinkerhoff. We were taken off the trolley and marched to some two-story military barracks building. The rooms were about 24 by 28 feet, with a corridor running the short way of the room. Along each wall was a box-like affair filled with rice straw with a woven mat on top. There were 14 spaces to each box. At the foot of each space was a pile of five blankets and a small hard pillow about six inches in diameter filled with rice hulls and a foot long covered with a coarse case open at both ends. We made up our bunks. We were shaking from cold. Just before we retired, we were served some hot, watery soup. I found a piece of carrot in mine. Anyway, it was warm. This is Zensushi Prison Camp. The ground is covered with snow. Dean Brunton. We were assigned to rooms, about 30 men to each, in a space about 30 by 50 feet. Our beds were thin mats of rice straw, and each man was given a worn pair of Japanese army blankets and a metal mess kit. We were so exhausted from the cold that we fell upon our straw mats, clothing and all, and immediately went to sleep. Roy Henning spent cold, miserable day on board the ship. Two slices of bread, 7 a.m., given bread in train station, Taken to Zensushi Prison Camp, Shikoku Island. Given blanket, bunk, hot water, to bed, almost freeze to death. Bryant Sterling. Nothing to eat all day with the exception of two slices of bread in the morning. Finally, about 9 a.m., hear Bill Falvey holler for me. Art follows behind and we both go topside. We are endeavoring to keep our group of four together, so Bill called us as a cargo boat pulled up alongside our ship. Officers call for 30 men. The four of us crowded out the door expecting to leave the ship, but instead we are asked to load baggage aboard the cargo ship boat. Wind and bitter cold. I managed to find my box amongst luggage and take out both towel and a pair of flannel pants. Wrap towel around my head and pants around my middle just as I was standing near the edge of the cargo well. Well was about 25 feet deep. Some guy throws a bundle at me to catch. 
I manage to grab it all right, but when about the same time another fellow throws a larger bundle at me, I was only able to save myself from being knocked down into the hold of the ship by dropping both bundles and grabbing the side of the ship. Lucky the bundles didn't go over the side. The luggage is finally loaded and we are asked to muster aboard the large ship. Civilians are called first, thank goodness. After muster, we climb aboard the cargo boat. Art and I huddled together in a spot protected from the wind. Finally, the sailors and marines are also loaded aboard and we shove off to some place unknown. The little ship is very crowded. We are asked to sit on the deck, but many haven't the room, so remain standing. Our trip lasts about 30 minutes before pulling to a dock brightly lit with floodlights. News photographers start their flashlight bulbs going as they take pictures of us. As our group is let out on that gangplank to the dock, we are struck by a wind that cuts right through us. Truly the coldest I've ever been. Lining up in twos, we are marched with on the double quick to a group of buildings several hundred yards away. These turn out to be toll gates, in front of which we are again lined up and counted. Everyone felt frozen to the bone. This turns out to be a short muster because the guards themselves are freezing. Our next jump is into a Japanese grocery store and waiting room where we are safe from the wind. The next thing that pops up is the bread brought in by the soldiers. Let me tell you that bread was the next best thing we ever ate. It tasted like cake to us. This is our first food in 16 hours. Many of the fellows hardly ever ate bread before the war started, but my how they ate it now. It was around 10.30 p.m. that night when we left the station and formed a line in a column of fives outside. We were ordered to march ahead and soon were asked to run. Our course led us in and out of the small streets of a small-sized town until we came to a streetcar terminal. To the right and left of us, lining the streets, were stores selling oranges, apples, and cookies. I tried to keep my eyes off them as much as possible. About this time is when Art got cracked across the butt with the flat side of a bayonet because he wasn't moving fast enough. The reason was that Farwell, with his wooden leg, was ahead of him and Art had to stay behind Farwell. At last we were warm after boarding the streetcars. Our trip lasted only about 20 minutes, at which time we got off and again mustered. This took a short time and soon we were marching between two posts that led us towards some large buildings which we guessed were to be our next stop. The wind was blowing and the ground was covered with snow as we lined up before the first building to our left. A Japanese guard was there and looked us over as we were counted. Near me stood a Catholic priest of our party who was wearing sandals in this bitter cold. Everyone was stamping their feet and shivering. At last the order is given and we march into our new home. Don Wallace, Bill Falvey, Art Okapinti and myself have managed to stick together all this time and at last we line up in front of a row of beds placed in a room 
housing 14 men. The beds are nothing more than mats placed as a thin layer of rice straw. At the head of each mat are five blankets, one pillow, hard as a chunk of wood, and pans to eat out of. In the center of the room was a brazier. The room was very clean and presented a neat appearance as the place had apparently been newly remodeled. The walls were sealed with knotty pine. It was now about 11 p.m. In about 10 minutes, the Japanese brought in some very hot soup. It was very thin, but the hot liquid is what counted. Bill and Art made up their bunks together while Don and I decided to sleep alone. That night was rather cold in spite of the five blankets, but there were Japanese army blankets and not the real wool experienced on our own army. And this concludes episode nine of the We Raise the Stars and Stripes Over Japan podcast. Thanks very much for listening.